So when a service is led by only women, um, we flow in the same spirit. The only difference is we're a lot more emotional about it. So I've been crying all morning. <laughs> anyway. Um, oh, yeah, okay, Barry was there too, sure. Just feel it in your heart, people. Um, no, honestly, I think when you start going through menopause, I'm not that old. Um, I just, I had surgery. And so um, today I heard the best explanation for what menopause feels like. It's like you're getting microwaved from the inside and it's trying to escape through your head. I was like, yep, that's exactly what that is. And, and you don't sleep anymore and it makes you bitter. <laughs> so I understand all the emotions that I'm feeling today. Um, on that note, um, I'll be sharing on stewarding the presence of God. Um, it's something that has been quite, um, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of something that's been churning for a couple of years. Um, and what I would like to warn you um, about today is be very careful what you pray for. Um, but January 2020, before all this COVID stuff happened, um, I kind of prayed a very stupid, in retrospect, very stupid prayer, um, although probably the best thing that I could have prayed for. Um, I heard a word about um, the difference between anointing and gifting, um, you know, and this, um, this lady, I'm not going to go into who and what and where, um, but basically what she said was that how is it that we've got so many gifted musicians and yet the church is still in bondage? Um, and she said that the difference is anointing. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. Um, it's anointing that breaks um, off the chains. And so I prayed. I was like, God, I don't want to be a gifted musician. I want to be an anointed musician. Um, and if you know the process that grapes and olives have to go through, there's a sufficient crushing and pressing that needs to happen to produce oil, um, which is symbolic of the anointing um, in the Bible. And my goodness, has there been a crushing and a pressing. But there's a reason for it, and this is kind of what I want to talk about a little bit today. Um, and so to do that, we're going to go super back in time, and we're going to have a quick chat about the Ark of the Covenant. And so the Ark of the Covenant was one of the most instrumental symbols of faith and God's presence. Um, there was not the manifest presence of God like we have now, but there was the Ark of the covenant, the contents of which included the, ta- uh, uh, the tablets of the Mosaic law, a pot of manna, and the rod of Aaron, or Aaron, depending on, I'm kidding. <laughs> I always wonder about people that name their kids Aaron, like, I mean, no offense, but you like open the baby book, you're like, Aaron, that's it, we've got a name. <laughs> it's the first one in the book, it's funny. It's just a joke. Thank you, it was for free, and thanks, oh, thanks Ed, <laughs> for so encouraged. Um, right, so the ark's origin stemmed from Exodus 25. Um, basically, Moses was commanded by God to make an ark out of acacia wood. In verse 22, he says, Exodus 25, verse 22, he says, I will meet you there, and from above the atonement lid, from between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will command you for the Israelites. And so this ark was created in a way that it contained a seat, the mercy seat, and upon that seat, someone would sit, and then God would speak to them there, all right? So that was the whole point of the Ark of the Covenant, all right? So it was a place where God came to visit, and there was vision and direction that was given for an entire nation. Where the Ark went, 
miracles and wonders would follow. Numbers, 30, uh, Numbers 10 verse 3. Um, so they traveled from the mountain of the Lord. Sorry, 33. My bad. There's a weird S in between there. Numbers 10 verse 33. So they traveled from the mountain of the Lord, three days journey. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord was traveling before them um, during the three days journey to find a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was over them by day and they tra- um, when they traveled from the camp. And when the ark traveled, Moses would say, Rise up, O Lord, may your enemies be scattered, and may those who hate you flee before you. And when it came to rest, he would say, Return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. In Joshua 3 verse 14, it says, So when the people left their tents to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. When the ones carrying the ark reached the Jordan, and the feet of the priests carrying the ark touched the surface of the water, the Jordan, meaning uh, it was at that time it was at flood stage, um, the water coming downstream towards them stopped flowing. It piled up far upstream. There was no water at all flowing to the sea um, of the Rift Valley, now known as the Salt Sea. The people crossed the river opposite Jericho. The priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan. All Israel crossed over the dry ground until the entire nation was on the other side. And so this was a symbol of faith in God's presence. And everywhere the Ark of the Covenant went, there were signs and miracles that followed. Everywhere the presence of God, the only piece of manifest presence that there was on earth, wherever that went, signs and wonders followed. Now with that, of course, the enemy knew the importance of the Ark, right? So it's kind of like if we could just take that one thing out, then we could defeat the Israelites, right? And so that was the idea. In 1 Samuel 4 verse 6, it tells a story about the Philistines. And so um, it says, When the Philistines heard the sound of the shout, they said, What is this loud loud, um, shout in the camp of the Hebrews? They then realized that the ark of the Lord had arrived at the camp. The Philistines were scared because they thought that the gods had come, sorry, that they... They thought that gods had come to the camp. They said, woe to us. We've never seen anything like this. Woe to us. Who can deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? Plural, mind you. These are are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all sorts of plagues in the desert. Be strong and act like men, you Philistines, or else you will wind up serving the Hebrews the way that they have served you. Act like men and fight. And so what happened was they stole it. (laughs) They were like, okay, well, I mean... It makes sense, right? So they stole it, and then a whole bunch of really bad things happened to them, and they were like eventually praying, how can we get rid of this? What can we do? And so by 1 Samuel 6, they'd had enough of this, and they tried to send it back. Now, there were some rules about the ark. The history lesson is almost over, I promise. But it's always good to reflect, you know what I mean? All right, there were rules about the ark. In Hebrews 9 verse 1, now the first covenant, in fact, had regulations for worship and its earthly sanctuary. For a tent was prepared, the outer one, which contained the lampstand, the table, and the presentation of the loaves, this being called the holy place. And after the second curtain, there was a tent called the holy of holies. It contained the golden altar of incense. All right, so just quick, I just want to put like a little asterisk inside here and just kind of... So um, day and night, night and day, let incense arise. 
this is one of Ray's pet peeves. He's like, what does that even mean? This is what it means. Um, so this idea of incense, this, this worship, this sacrifice, he was just like, it doesn't make sense. And what if people come here that aren't like Christians and we're singing about incense arising? It makes no sense to anybody. Um, Adam had a totally different version way back when. He used to sing day and night, night and day, let insects arise. Um, that was in Egypt before the Ark of the Covenant came. The insects arise, now it's incense. Um, so it kind of makes sense some way, contextually. So this is what we're talking about when we're singing day and night, night and day, let incense arise. This was in the Holy of Holies. There was a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered entirely with gold. In this Ark were the golden urn containing the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. And above the Ark were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Now, It is not the time to speak of these things in detail. Thankfully, he put that in there, so I can move on. So with these things prepared like this, the priests enter continually into the outer tent as they perform their duties. But only the high priest enters once a year into the inner tent, and not without blood that he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. So now what what happened was that he would present a sacrifice, and if it wasn't pure enough, he would go through, and if a little bell on his ankle stopped ringing, they were like, yep, let's pull the body out. Um, and so that's kind of how that went down. Um, so glad I wasn't a, a high priest in that time. The Holy Spirit, in verse 8, the Holy Spirit is making clear that the way into the holy place has, had not yet appeared as long as the old tabernacle was standing. This was a symbol for the time then present when gifts and sacrifices were offered that could not perfect the conscience of the worshiper. They served only for matters of food and drink and various ritual washings. So these were all just for external things that were happening in the community at that time. That was the only thing that these offerings were relevant to. It had nothing to do with the internal state of the worshiper. Verse 11, but now Christ has come as the high priest of the good things to come. He passed through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. And he entered once and for all into the most holy place, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. And so he himself secured eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow sprinkled on those who are defiled, consecrated them, and provided ritual purity, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our consciences, our consciences, our consciences? Exactly. See, it is difficult to say. Everyone's like trying to correct me, and they're like, consciences. The plural of our conscience from dead works to worship the living God. All right, so I'm just going to pause here for a second and pray if that's okay. Lord, I thank you so much that throughout the Old Testament that you laid out this map showing us this exact moment where you came and you sacrificed yourself and went into the Holy of Holies. You went in through into that place as the holiest of holiest of holiest of sacrifices that tore the veil and made this presence, this, this Ark of the Covenant, a new covenant, that you made that accessible to us. 
that this ritual would be forever, forever eliminated. And that we would have access to a cleansing with deep, deep within ourselves. That we would be made righteous, not because of our works. Because our works are useless. Our works only happen on the outside. It fixes things on the outside. But what you do, your work fixes us on the inside. And you make us righteous, not self-righteous, but righteous. And so we thank you, Lord, that you have shown us, that you have laid out story after story after story in the Old Testament, or as a prelude, or as a foreshadowing of what is to come and what came and what we now have access to. And so we pray this morning, would you come and do something in each and every heart? Would we understand truly what it is to steward your presence? Amen. Okay, so how is all of this relevant today? So we are all now, through the blood of Jesus, a royal priesthood. All right, every single one of us, all right, we are allowed to now go into the presence of God freely. We have free access to his presence. When the Israelites were not in possession of the ark, Right? So when they did not have the possession of the ark, when it had gone off to the, uh, to the Philistines or whatever it was, um, they worshipped other gods. If we do not protect and stir the presence of God in us, we will succumb to idolatry. And we heard about this last week. Um, Craig Boerter shared on idolatry. And it all comes back to this. If we do not protect and if we do not steward the presence of God in us, we're going to worship other things. David understood the importance and the significance of the ark, the manifest presence of God. He had a whole tent just for this. I mean, David was one of the most imperfect characters in all of the Bible. And I love this. I love how the people that we speak of are the ones that were imperfect. The woman at the well, imperfect. Mary that poured out perfume onto the feet of Jesus, imperfect. Rahab imperfect. David, oh my goodness, imperfect. Even Solomon, that guy was messed up. And it's all these imperfect people. And I want you to really understand the imperfection of these people because you need to understand that it is not about our perfection, but about his. This is what is important here. It's when we understand the significance of his presence in our life, that he turns our imperfections into something beautiful into something glorious, into something amazing, made perfect through him. When Adam and Eve sinned, when they sinned, gee, me and past tenses, we are just, I mean, in plurals, we're really having a good time. You wouldn't say that I was a grade 11 and 12 English teacher. <clears throat> At least I don't teach reading, so we have that going for us. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were thrown out of Eden, which was a place with God's presence. So in Eden, God's presence was made manifest. It was there. He walked among them, all right? He was right there with them, having a conversation. How cool is that? And even in that moment, they sinned. And so with that, the world was thrust into a separation from him. And with that came idolatry and sin. Idolatry and sin. Now, 
I spoke some year, I don't know, months, a year, I don't know how long it was ago, about the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. And so the entire struggle that we live out at the moment is this battle, this kind of um, grand clash, if you will, between the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. And so in the, I'm going to do this very quick. So hold on to your seats, folks. So what happened was in Eden, the kingdom of God was established, all right? Kingdom means being in the state of something, the D-O-M, all right, the uh, suffix. It means being in the state of something. For some of you, you may be bored, which means that you are in a state of boredom. I apologize. So when you are in a kingdom, you are in the state of being ruled and governed by a king, right? So when we're talking about the kingdom of God, we are in a state of being governed by him, meaning your will be done, your kingdom come here. Right? So that's what it means to be in the kingdom of God. When Adam and Eve sinned, they said, actually, my will be done. And so the kingdom of man was established. And we all know the kingdom of man is always upside down. All right? It's messed up. In the kingdom of man, we want to rule over others. We want to be ruled. Think about the Israelites. They never had a king. They insisted on one because they wanted to be ruled. And someone wanted to rule. That was never the way God intended it. So now we've got what? Classism, racism, all kinds of isms. That was never what the kingdom of God was designed to be like. It was each one of us had a role and a part to play. Gender assigned roles. They were Adam did this, Eve did this as equal partners in the kingdom of God. That was the plan. Then Eve and Adam went and decided to completely topsy-turvy that and the kingdom of man was established. And so when I don't steward the presence of God in my life, I'm allowing the kingdom of man to get the upper hand. It's like a big old uppercut. And I'm saying my will be done. And because of that, idolatry settles in my heart. I want to do this. Yeah, but I want to do this. And then we say, we're like, oh, I've got issues of temptation and self-control and a whole bunch. Of, yeah, sure. Okay. But it's not about eliminating that. It's about reestablishing something else. Because if you just take something away, there's a void, right? But if I put the kingdom of God in, the other stuff will get pushed out. It must. So when Jesus died, he was the ultimate sacrifice, which atoned for all of it and reestablished a new covenant that is alive in each one of us today. The kingdom of heaven, the original plan restored on earth. All right, Jesus interrupted the bloodline. And he came as the sacrifice, and the kingdom of God was once again reestablished. And that is what we have access to now. And as a result, alert, everybody, sirens going off, we are the Ark of the Covenant. What is in us? The Ark of the New Covenant. Because if I'm saying that God lives in me, then that means that I am the space where his presence lives, which was, in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant. So it is very important that you understand that what is in you now is that, a new covenant. Make sense? Are we all, I'm not like heretic. You don't want to carry me off and throw me in. The, okay, great. We're good. Just making sure. And this is given to us, and it is made manifest through his spirit. And that's why Jesus had to leave. There was one of him. But the all-seeing all-knowing spirit of God was given to us instead. 
He had to leave so that we could have this. And so when Jesus said, you two will do greater things that I have done, think about it. There was one of him. All right, there was one of him with the spirit of God. This is why Jesus walked on this earth because he showed, it, showed us what it is to be man filled by the presence of God. He showed us. That's what his whole life showed us. What it is to live as a person healed to the spirit 100% completely. That's why he was here and walked. So I've always wondered, why didn't you just appear like one of those shampoo ads on a horse? You know? I'm here. I'm the Messiah. He didn't do that. Why? Because he had to live. He had to show us what it is to live completely healed to and totally submitted to the kingdom of God. And so if we're going to do greater things, that doesn't mean me, myself, and I, I'm going to do greater things. It's saying that when Nikki gets it, and when Sarah gets it, and when Paul gets it, and Barry gets it, and everybody else, I'm going to be naming people forever, and I just really want to, but I'm not going to, so I'm just going to stop. All right? If every single one of us gets it, then we are going to do greater things than even Jesus did. Why? Because there's more of us. There's multiplications. So why is it relevant today? Because we have to guard this presence so that we do not succumb to idolatry, so that we do not succumb to the kingdom of man. We have to protect it. There were rules about it. I mean, I always think about those, two, those poor chaps. Remember when they were walking in the desert with the ark and then they stumbled and then the two guys reached out to catch it? They were doing a good thing, people. It was a good thing. They were not going to let the ark fall into the dirt. And they got zapped, dead, because there were rules. You couldn't touch it. Even then, I mean, that is just one picture to show us how cutthroat and ruthless we have to be about protecting even good intentions. Oh, but I just really want to help people. You've got good intentions. I know you do. But how well are you pressing into his spirit? How full are you really? Even the things that are sound like good intentions, it, it may not be enough. You have to be cutthroat when it comes to this. I just quickly want to pause here and before I move on to, well, why is this important? Okay, so we know why it's relevant, but why is it important? So I heard um, my mom-in-law, bless her heart, I think, I don't know, there should be an age limit for social media, I'm sure of it, but she tags me on everything, like everything. She is the entire reason, I love her with my whole heart, she's the entire reason why um, I, have the, I have to check before I put things on my page. Um, because there's just too much of it. My news feed on my social media will only be stuff I've been tagged in. Um, and so, and it's good stuff. Honestly, some of the things that she shares is amazing. Other things I'm just like, meh, I could do without that on my feed. Um, and so, um, the one thing she shared yesterday, and my goodness, I'm so glad I clicked play. Um, there was a gentleman that was talking about, you know, in the moment when you have a heart attack and your heart stops, well, you won't know. You know the moment when someone has a heart attack? Let me just rephrase. Uh, when someone has a heart attack and they kind of get the defibrillator going and then everybody says clear, right? That means everyone's got to get hands off because when that thing hits you, the thing that's supposed to save someone else is going to kill the person touching it, right? It's going to have the opposite effect. And sometimes what happens is there are things in our heart that are dead that he needs to bring back to life, but we're so busy holding on that he can't bring it back to life. And so let go 
let go of the things in your life that you think are important so that he can come and shock you back to life. Okay, why is this important? When Adam and Eve sinned and the kingdom of man was established, there was a loss of identity. We were no longer living in the image-bearing state that we were created to be. We bore sin instead. We took on an identity of separation and sin. Enter the orphan spirit. All right? We lost a sense of identity. We were no longer the image bearing. We cannot belong to the kingdom of man and be the image bearer of the kingdom of God. Right? So um, think about shields. All right? They always had emblems on shields and things. And the reason for that was back in the day, you couldn't see very far. And so if you saw a guy riding with his shield or with his crest, you knew friendly or foe. Right? And so when I bear the image of him, I'm, I'm seeing and replicating. I cannot see and replicate something if I am seeing something else. All right, it's kind of like, let me put it this way. I'm going to circle back and explain that properly once more. Um, let's say I'm standing here and I've got measles. And I'm saying, chicken pox. You're not going to catch chicken pox, you're going to catch measles. Right? That makes sense, biologically. And so if I am supposed to bear the image, it's like looking in a mirror, right? If I'm looking here, I will bear the image of that. I can't look here and bear the image of that. It's impossible. I cannot bear the image of something I'm not looking at. And so we cannot be in the kingdom of man and bear the image of God. It's impossible. So when Jesus died and he rose again, we regained access to the image we were created to bear, his image. This image can only be found in his presence. Why? Because the more time I spend with someone, the more I begin to emulate them. All right? It's like my 11-year-old son. Honest to goodness, the friends he hangs out, they're like, I'm aware that's so sus. What? It's so sus. All the primary school teachers are laughing because you know what I'm talking about. It means suspect. It's so sus. All right? And the more he hangs out with his friends, he's starting to speak like a little American teenager. I'm like, when did that happen? We're not even American. He's like, it's over here. You're like, where? Over here. I don't know how bad his accent is until I go to South Africa. And everyone's like, your kid sounds funny. I'm like, I know. I'm sorry. We have like... Children and their otherness. We're like third culture kingdom kids. What can we do? So the more time we spend with people, the more we emulate them. Right? We've got, I mean, my, my poor mother-in-law, she's got none of her grandkids with a normal accent. The others all live in Australia, so they're all like twangy. <laughs> and over here, we're all like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so it's amazing. Why is it important to spend time with him? And let me explain it to you like this, the best way I can. All right, again, hold on to your seats. This is a, this is a big one to unpack. Lord, help me. When the Pharisees were trying to catch Jesus out, well, which one do you think is the greatest of the commandments, right? They were trying to get him to slip up. 
right? And I love what Shannon was talking about, about reading the word of God and then going into worship because theology leads to doxology. Our understanding of God leads to our worship of God, right? And so it's when we understand him that we know how to worship him. And the only way I can understand him is when I spend time with him. And so Jesus said, well, there's two commands because they fulfill all the others, right? Number one is to love God and then to love others as self. Now, I have been in many discussions. In fact, I've been in life groups before where people got really upset about this and they got angry and they stormed out. I'm like, yo, we're arguing about love and you just got angry and walked out. Eh. I mean, I was pleasantly enjoying the dramatic irony, but that was just me. Um, So it's essential because, now let's just focus on the first command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Okay? Now, can we just agree that God loves me all the time? Do we all agree with that statement? God loves me all the time, all right? I don't, however, walk around going, God loves me, God loves me, God loves me, God loves me, God loves me. Why? Because I'm busy doing work. I'm doing mom stuff. I'm doing, you know, other stuff and whatever. And so I'm not consciously aware of his love for me all the time, all right? I I am in my heart and in my spirit. My spirit man knows it, but my conscious, I don't always know that. My conscience. Man, that's a terrible word. Tripped up by the conscience. Defibrillator. That I can say, but conscience. No, oh, there we go. There's an N at the end. So I'm not consciously aware of his love for me all the time. When I spend time with him, I become aware of it. Right? So when I go and I'm like, oh, God, I love you, guess what? There's just this portal that opens and his love is poured out all over me. And that is how the image of him is restored within me. My identity is restored in the love of a father. Right? And so when I spend time with him and when I love him with everything that is in me, with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my mind, and there's nothing else that captivates me like he does. There are no idols in my life. When I spend time in that moment, genuinely, in spirit and in truth, I am aware of his love for me. Now, what's amazing about this is the following. The God of everything that made everything, all of it, loves this really imperfect mess of me. Somehow, he loves me with everything that he has. And I didn't have to do anything to get that. I didn't have to be anything. I didn't have to be someone. I didn't have to earn a certain amount or jump through so many hoops or look like a pastor's wife. Yes, I've been told that, by the way. It's really funny. People are like, you don't look like a pastor's wife. I'm like, what does that even look like? I don't know. When you tell me, when you know, let me know. And then I maybe, eh. He loves me even though I don't look like a pastor's wife. When I stand there and I truly, truly, truly accept the love of a father, I realize something about myself, that I have been created in his image And that irrespective of my imperfections, that I am loved by a king and a father. And then what starts to happen is I truly start to love myself. And that love is a very complicated word. It's not just I love, I have happy emotions of cushiness towards me. 
It's not that. It's I begin to accept myself. I begin to be less critical and judgmental of myself because I understand something that I am working out this salvation. I'm walking out my salvation. I haven't been to the 100% heavenly restoration part yet. I'm still here between redemption and returning home. I'm I'm still here, right? I'm working out the salvation. Why? Because I am not dead yet. It's quite simple. And so as a result, I am imperfect, and I'm being worked on by a king. I'm being worked on. As we speak, he's doing stuff in me. And guess what? It is okay. It is okay to not have it figured out. It is okay to not be okay. It's cheesy, but it's true. And so I begin to accept myself. And when I accept myself for where I'm at and who I'm at, because I'm doing everything I can to worship and to love a king, that's all you've been asked to do. So I tick, meet the criteria. I then become less critical and judgmental of myself. And then guess what? Here's the big deal. Then I become less critical and judgmental of everybody else. I begin to truly love people. Why? Because I know that if I can be loved and accepted by God, so can they. And as a result, I can love and accept them. So that's what it really, I think, truly, genuinely means to love others as you love yourself. That I accept myself the way I am and therefore I accept you the way you are. Made in the image of God. I'm not talking about sin. I'm not saying that I'm here to, we don't accept sin. It's not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm accepting who you are. Your identity. Sin is not an identity, people. It is not an identity in the kingdom of God. We're not defined by the things that we identify as. Not in the kingdom of God. This is why his presence is so, so, so important. Because the more time I spend in his presence, the more I'm loved on by him, the more I love and accept myself, and the more I love and accept others. And I want you to ask yourself today, are you judgmental and critical of other people? If you are, okay, let's turn that around for a second. No judgment. I'm saying let's just turn that around for a second because I can guarantee you now, I'm willing to stake everything on this statement, that if you're judgmental and critical of other people, you're even more judgmental and critical of yourself. Guaranteed. And if that's the case, then I want you to double back one more time. Just go back one more time. And then go and ask yourself, have you truly, truly, truly accepted the love of a father? Him. Have you been restored to the identity that he gave you? That can only be found in his presence. That is why it's so important. You've got to protect it. You've got to be cutthroat about this. Why? Because there's a world of people that need to see love. Genuine, authentic, Christ-like love. Because it's his kindness that leads hearts to repentance. Not our judgmental, critical attitudes on our little social media soapboxes. 
Whoever won anyone over that way? Name me one person that was condemned into righteousness. Like, please. It doesn't work that way. When I lose sight of his presence and I lose sight of who he has created me to be, I lose sight of a world that needs his love and needs our love. I become introspective. And I just want to pause here for a moment. We have just been through an earth-shaking pandemic. And somehow I feel like people have walked out the other end of it unfazed. I, I don't understand. I get really emotional when I talk about this because we were hit with a massive stop button, a reset. Like, why are we doing the things that we do? I'll be very vulnerable with you guys this morning, if I may. This critical and judgmental spirit nearly killed me. Physically. It got a hold of me in such a way that I was convinced, convinced that if I was no longer here, I would be doing the world a favor. I was so deeply invested in what others had to say of me that I felt like I didn't measure up. And the best part is that what they had to say, it resonated with the insecurities I already felt about myself. And I decided, that's it. I'm exiting stage left. How stupid. And do you know what I was met with in that moment? A king of love. That ministered to my heart and set me free in a moment. I let go. I let go of my actual life. (laughs) And he said, no, baby, not like this. Not now. Be so careful what we do to others because it could kill them. That's not the king I know. It is not the king I love and the king I serve. He loves you. Oh, he loves you. (laughs) We somehow go from Jesus loves me, this I know to I'm not okay, I'm not perfect, I don't have it figured out, and I'm a bad person because of it. What a lie. That's the enemy. He's come in like the same way that he came into Eve and said, what did he really say? I'm here to tell you undeniably, 100%, he did say that you were a new creation. He did say that you are a royal priesthood. He did say that you are a son and a daughter. And he did say that you are righteous. He did say that he loves you and he loves you. And then when you think he's loved you enough, he goes and loves you a little bit more. So are you willing this morning to step into his presence and to accept that love? Because he wants to heal you. We cannot do life the same way anymore. 
don't know if you noticed my really terrible necklace. My son made it for me. The colors don't even go together. It's so aesthetically unpleasing. I'm so glad it's under my face and I can't see it. (laughs) But you should see his face. I went to school yesterday. (laughs) You should see his face when I told him how many compliments I got. So I show my kid love by wearing terrible beads. <laughs> he started a pattern and then just gave up. Why? <laughs> Sorry. It's really unpleasing to the eye. But it's so beautiful to my heart. Because it was his act of love. He hung it up next to my bed and he was all like, Mom. And then he reprimanded me the day before yesterday. He was like, Mom, why have you never worn this? And I'm like, Eesh, I was that, Mom. So now I'm wearing it forever, I guess. <laughs> It is a love for each other that shows that we are his disciples. But it only comes from accepting love in his presence. And his presence is everything in your life. And it is in you. So this is relevant. Why? Because if I don't pay attention to his presence, idolatry sets in. And it is important because when that happens, I lose sight of who he's made me to be and who I am. And then I try to fill it with a bunch of other stuff. And I will never measure up. I'm not supposed to. <laughs> You're not supposed to measure up. That's why we need a spirit. It's impossible to be perfect. <laughs> Unless you're Nikki Perfect. It's literally her name. <laughs> and then she's only perfect on her passport. <laughs> No, it's only on your passport. So we're just going to spend a little bit of time. And I want to encourage you, if you need to come up and get prayed for, like, I'm totally cool to do that. It's been so liberating. I cannot even tell you how little I care about what other people think of me now. (laughs) I just don't care. I just don't care anymore. I just say thank you <laughs> and send them on their way. Because unless you're coming to me with the scripture of God and saying you're out of line, then it's just your opinion, yeah? And you're, you're allowed to have them. I, I'm also allowed to not listen to them, yeah? Oh, it's been so liberating. But I had to hit rock bottom, and I would like to this morning stop you from doing that. <laughs> And so we're going to sing Fresh Wind because we need something new. I cannot do life the way we did it. This is not what church is. This is not what this is. This is a blip on the radar of your week. It is where we come together to celebrate the six days that have passed and to be encouraged for the six days to come. That's what this is. And we get to love each other in the way. way.
Because we need community. We need people. We need love. And so we're going to sing. And what I would like you to do is, if you would like to be prayed for, just to be filled with His presence again. We, we repented from idolatry last week. And if, and if you weren't here and you would like to do that again, or you're still like, oh man, I didn't quite, I didn't quite make it this week. I didn't quite take this as seriously this week. Well then, come. We're here, mess and all. We're here for the ugly <laughs> and the good and the bit in between. So yeah, um, if you'd like to come, please do. If you want to stand where you are, if you want to sit, you want to kneel, whatever it is that you need to do in this moment. But to posture yourself. Worship isn't necessarily an act. Praise is an act. Worship is a posture of the heart. And so if you need to posture your heart today to accept the love of a father, then go ahead and do that.